the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 272. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. I'm Darvel Dana. Welcome along, guys. Thank you for, uh, for joining me. That's right. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, Nate, let's start with you. Tell us where you fit into this world of uh, technology in New Zealand. Uh, so I own a software company called 3Bit, and we do a lot of custom software. And I'm Nate on Twitter, which tends to be quite a big deal, being so short. And also one of the moderators off Geekzone as well. So Excellent. And I think I've been here fair, must be a dozen times now. I think maybe more. Many times. Many so many times. we've lost count, Nate. Should be up for a pay raise, I think. And Darvel, we're quite keen. I'm very keen to hear about your new Indiegogo campaign. Um, anything more you want to tell us about uh, about you? Yep. So I'm I'm into tech industry for about ten years now, and always into different gadgets and stuff. Um, started thinking of building my own product last year. Um, came up with some ideas and um, just built a product called Sensi Buds. Yeah, so that's basically a, a earbuds that can detect when it's in your ears and when you take it off, it detects it's taken off. Cool, cool. Well, we're definitely going to dive into that and ask you a little bit about that during the show. So that is cool. Well, let's jump in to some of the other topics and then um, we want to hear a little bit more of that story. So first up, Amazon Echo. Now, they launched their, um, their Echo product, which... For those that don't know, incorporates a speaker, and it's basically an internet-connected speaker that incorporates Alexa, and Alexa, I guess, is Amazon's personal assistant, so in many ways very Siri-like, uh, but built into the speaker. Hasn't actually been officially sold in New Zealand, so we ordered one um, quite early on and had a play with it here on, on the show uh, some time back. But now Amazon have got two additions to that. So one of those is the Echo Dot, which is 90 US dollars. And it provides that uh, basically in-room access to the Alexa personal assistant that you can uh, talk to. Um, but it's not uh, designed basically as a, as a portable uh, or as a speaker to go in-room, whereas the full Alexa gives you a, a pretty reasonable uh, speaker um, as well as the, uh, the Alexa capability. And then they've also launched the uh, Amazon Tap, which is an Alexa-enabled uh, portable speaker. So uh, I guess we're talking uh, yeah, a battery-powered uh, version of the Echo there in, um, in some ways, which is quite a good concept because the, the Echo itself, really neat, but you did always have to have it, have it plugged in to power. So, yeah, good to see what uh, Amazon are doing here. These are launching at the end of this month, so... Um, we won't see them for a little while, and of course we don't actually know whether there'll be any official release date f- for these any time soon. Um, but look like pretty cool uh, gadgetry, right? What's your thoughts, Nate? I, um, I, see, I see this particular thing pop up on Twitter all the time, and I've actually never spent any time investigating it because it just looks so strange. So, wh- so the use case for this is I'd have it sitting in my lounge or my kitchen and then you could have it in your kitchen so you could ask it for um, recipes you can ask it to convert weights so you're looking at or temperatures you're looking at something that's in fahrenheit you want to work out what that is on your oven Um, you could work out how many teaspoons in a i don't know a 
the cup, or it probably wouldn't quite work. Wanted to do that calculation would be a bit time consuming. But um, yeah, there's all sorts of bits and pieces. You can ask it to play music, so you can say, "Hey, play me some U2 or whatever it is that you want to play," and away you know okay. away it'll go. Um, yeah, presuming you've got the uh, the Amazon subscription set up in the background uh, to do that. But I've got the Amazon Prime subscription. And so, you know, you talk to it and you've got access to their, their full um, uh, streaming music catalogue. So can you can you just say, like, you know, with um, your phone, you can say, okay, Google, and it will click into Google, and mine's just done it to prove a point. Um, yeah, yeah. You can say, can you do the same thing with, with yeah, that? So or do you, you need you, to... So you say Alexa and then you, you know, ask it, um, you know, what you want to do. So it might be remind me of something, add something to your shopping list. Uh, so you know in the kitchen use that's probably quite good like you know add some milk to my shopping list or whatever whatever it is that you want to add to your shopping list so it's list. really like having a, a, an assistant that's sitting there with a notepad or, or some, at a laptop or something like that yeah and of course these same sorts of things go right across the Amazon uh, devices so you know if you've got a uh, one of the you know, Android based tablets um, then you know you can use it in, this, in the same sort of way nice nice so, so have you got one? Yes, Sorry, no. but I was looking around and I can't actually remember where it is at the moment. So, uh, Alexa, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem to be here in the studio over? with us, but uh, it'll, it'll either be sitting in my office or uh, or at home at the moment. So, uh, yeah. But very good. Um, but because they're not geared up for New Zealand, you do get some odd results. And so I was using the, using the Echo a little while ago with my son, when he was learning, you know, learning some basic, you know, how to spell some words and things like that. And so you'd say, Alexa, how do you spell? And whatever it was you were coming up with. But for, you know, for some words, obviously, they've got quite a different spelling for the US to New Zealand. So you say, how do you spell mum? And it says, mom, M-O-M. Or you ask it your uh, what time of day it is and so on. And it's uh, it's not geared up for our, our time zone or all locations. So. I suppose it would take different accent as well. So, you know, when Siri started on iPhones, it was a problem as well for the accents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't have too many problems with the recognition. It was, no, it's okay. pretty good. And uh, the the Echo also has um, sort of multiple microphones in it, so it's quite good for using across the room, uh, probably in a, in a similar way to the Xbox Connect which yeah seems to handle you talking across the room to it reasonably well mm. so yeah nice uh, nice piece of technology uh, they've got it obviously tied into their uh, amazon prime music but also spotify pandora iHeartRadio, uh tune in so there's um, there's a fair bit of um coverage there for for other people's music not just not just amazon do you, do you need to have the prime subscription for it to work or, or um, I think you can use it without Prime, but you're going to get the best result if you've got. Uh, sure. if you've, you know, the more deeply you are in each ecosystem, the better their things uh, work, I suppose. So similar with uh, uh, Google and Apple and, and Microsoft in many ways. Very cool. Now, next up, Samsung's 15 terabyte solid state hard drive. When I read that Samsung were releasing a 15 terabyte solid state drive, this is an enterprise drive supposedly, so it's not likely to be cheap. Uh, It uses the serial attached SCSI interface running at 12 gigabits per second. This is 
by no means a low-end piece of storage technology. I guess we're used to having our little micro SD cards and, and our SSDs that are in our laptops, which would, in most cases, not get, you know, we, most people wouldn't have anything above, say, a 256 gig SSD, maybe a 512, not so many with a terabyte uh, and up, but this is uh, 15 terabytes, so I'm sort of shuddering to think what the cost of this might be. We haven't haven't seen that yet, but that would be pretty phenomenal, having a solid-state drive at, at that size. What could you do with it, Darvel? Well, one thing's definitely filled with music and you, and movies. You could fit a lot of that on there, right? <laughs> exactly. It is just insane speed. You definitely have no... I guess it would be perfect if you wanted to fill it up with, uh, what, 8K uh, videos, like mega high-definition videos. Yeah, that's, that's true, up. actually. You can fill a lot of those ones, I think. But I guess this is aimed more at the sort of the enterprise, the, the business use. Nate, can you think of anything that you do in your business that would need this sort of uh, speed and capacity in a single drive? Well, you, you, when you, especially when you're going to, to servers, that's the sort of thing you need because solid state um, is so much quicker than um, you know your, your stock standard old, what, do, what are they called, old hard drives? Where the platters, I suppose, you know, the, the thicker ones. With ro- the rotating disks? Yeah, I, I don't know what technical term is. And I, I know one of the quickest ways to make a laptop or any PC quicker is, is throwing an SSD, which I've done for a few family members. My one concern was if you've got, what was it, 15 terabytes? If that drive fails, that's a lot of, you, you'd hope that you've got a really good backup um, procedure in place because 15, there's a lot of data to lose, it's 15 terabytes. Well, I would think that because your data is spread across a lot of chips, you're unlikely to probably lose the whole lot. But, you know, technically, if you did, in theory, they could replace the board and you probably have a higher chance of recoverability uh, than you would with a magnetic um, hard drive. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, the, in those regards. With that, with that in mind, do you think we're going to move away from, you know, where you, your hard drive just dies and you, then you've got to send it to the, the data recovery people or you, hopefully you've got a recent backup? As we get into SSDs, do you think that's going to become more, oh, sorry, less and less of a problem? I think it's more as we go to the cloud and we have everything replicated online yeah. anyway to somewhere else so you don't have to think about it so much. That would be, be my pick. But, yeah, it sounds pretty awesome, but very curious as to what... Uh, what the price point will be and crazy how they fit it into the stock standard two and a half size you think at that at that, at that capacity the drive would be massive but it's not it's uh, these chips are pretty, well when you think about it we have micro micro sd cards now that are uh, you know 200 uh, 200 gigs and the sort of size like the size of your your, uh, your little fingernail True, um, true. So, you know, you stack those things up. And, of course, what regularly happens is they double the capacity on each chip. And, uh, you know, Samsung did that again recently in terms of doubling doubling up what they can get on uh, on each chip. So uh, as that happens, that will, I guess, keep doubling the potential. So if we've got 15 terabyte solid-state drive today uh, within, I don't know what period, uh, you know, probably 18 months you would expect them to be able to release one of of double that capacity crazy eh? Uh, which is bigger than any uh any fixed hard drive i think 10 terabytes at the moment is the biggest you can get in a um in a traditional um you know magnetic disc based um hard drive so i think it's probably a little bit of a surprise to many that you can now get more in a solid state drive but the cost of it will be many many times more yeah, it's it's going to be hard to buy one. I mean, someone why would someone buy this so expensive drives instead of you having another five of different 
Well, I think somebody that that needs really really fast data. So it might be uh, someone you know someone that's got you know needs to deal with you know massive amounts of data, whether it's video, whether it's databases, and you know mathematical sort of things where they can uh, just file through that you know move through that data really really quickly. I'm sure there'll be a bunch of people that would uh, would be able to use it. I would imagine uh, the likes of Weta and so on could uh, could find a use for it if it were made available to them. But yeah, the average person in the street, well, probably be good for some some gaming and a bit of streaming and so on. Uh, but uh, they probably wouldn't be able to afford it. So uh, yeah. All right. Now next next topic up. Microsoft seems to be getting a little bit more serious around uh, security, certainly from a from a business uh, business perspective. Last in the last few days, they've um, announced a new machine learning service that's designed to help organizations look out for hacking uh, situations within their networks and what I guess happens quite commonly out there is that an organization their network will be compromised in some way by a hacker from outside uh, and they will not realize what's going on for a period of time and of course you know the hacker wants it that way so they can keep watching keep stealing information so the new product from Microsoft is called Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection and what we're hearing is using machine learning it's going to be able to look out for um, unusual practices on uh, Windows 10 uh, based computers and it will basically build a profile of how a computer normally behaves and then we'll be able to um, alert an organization if it's seeing activity that is uh, unusual and you know, based on their algorithms is indicative of a security breach. So this seems to be quite um, a different approach probably than has been, um, you know, so common in the past, although there certainly are um, other software vendors uh, such as FireEye and, of course, we had their CTO um, uh, from the Asia-Pacific region uh, on on here uh, recently, Bryce uh, Boland. But yeah, I think it's good. It's good when this type of technology that you know, sometimes maybe is is out of reach for a typical organisation becomes uh, becomes available from the operating system vendor uh, because that's generally uh, something that's going to be much easier to get uh, to get in place. Very cool technology because really, I, I suppose if you're an organisation, you don't want to know about alerts about every time someone logs in or logs out or VPNs in any of that sort of stuff all you're really interested in is is the anomalies the the exceptions the exceptions someone's downloading a whole lot of data or maybe they're logging in at strange hours or they're they're hitting a particular Indian or a Chinese or um, any of those sort of country IP addresses all the time which would um, indicate that something's not quite working as it should I I think this is fantastic I I fully agree with where you said companies often don't know about this straight off the bat they'll it'll, it'll slowly um, someone, it'll, the network will get compromised and, and that malware or whatever it is will sit there for ages and then it's not till something happens that's right outside the norm maybe the bill from the ISP comes and it's, it's thousands of dollars that they realise oh there's actually something that's quite wrong something's going on yeah yeah. this must be a massive boost to, to someone like such as Gorilla because this is going to be technology that you can detect things a lot quicker and, and get your technicians can stop sort of sitting there watching things that aren't are quite boring and move them more into like a proactive space yeah i mean it's always been part of the gorilla model is around uh being proactive and you know we've had a lot of uh monitoring systems in place 
you know, obviously when you get to this sort of level, then it can become pretty expensive to put these tools in place. Uh, so it depends on the type of organisation, whether it's relevant. But with Microsoft moving in um, with with this product, I would imagine it will become quite accessible price-wise. They will want a lot of organisations um, to be taking it up. Right now it's sort of in a... Um, it's in a preview, so they've got uh, they've got a private preview running. Apparently, it's covering about half a million uh, devices. So, yeah, for a little preview, that's that's not a bad base. But if Microsoft, uh, you know, start making this available more broadly soon, and it's either accessible through existing licensing programs, or without it being a, a massive premium, then you know, I imagine pretty soon, it, you know, it could be on hundred million plus uh, devices over over the next year or two yeah i think i think you're right that if they do the right licensing then it would be widespread and useful for everyone yeah i think it's you know it's quite important that operating system vendors do take uh, security very seriously um and our next our next story up uh, i i guess relates to that so uh what uh, what came up over the weekend is that Apple Mac users have been uh, targeted in, I guess, what is being considered the first ransomware for the Mac that is, I I guess, sort of complete. Um, So we have seen some bits and pieces of ransomware around the Mac before, uh, but I don't think they've maybe been, you know, absolutely complete. And in in this case, um, what we've heard about, this came through company Palo Alto, and uh, their threat intelligence director Ryan Olson is referring to this as Key Ranger malware, and it first appeared on uh, Friday, and yeah, it seems very effective at basically being able to do um, um, a couple of things. One, it will um, oh, first of all, how it how it gets onto machines um, has been through um, version 2.90 of uh, transmission, which is a BitTorrent or, or peer-to-peer uh, file sharing software. And once it got onto the machine, it would do two things. Uh, one, it would encrypt your files, but also it would go ahead and look for the backups of your Mac that might be sitting on your network and go after those um, because someone's much less likely to to pay a ransom for their data to get their data back uh, if they've got a good backup that they can just recover and say well I'll just roll back to my backup from uh, you know half an hour ago um, then they're, they're pretty unlikely to uh, to pay the ransom but in this case and I think this will be absolutely the norm going forward uh, it goes after your uh, your backup um, data as well so if you've got a, a time machine backup on your network then it wants to go and destroy that so this is pretty scary stuff on a nice front it was picked up reasonably quickly but on a yeah a bit sad that um, it was being distributed through you know a product from the product vendors uh, website Uh, this was signed software so it got right through the operating system now apple it will block it Uh, so um, you know if you've been hit and it hasn't actually destroyed your machine uh, then you could be okay. Um, so there's, you know, definitely thumbs up to Microsoft uh, to whoop, uh, Apple for <laughs> uh, um, you know for for their part in being able to uh, to to block this. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's part of a, I guess a, a, a common thing we're seeing that increase in um, 
in this type of uh, malware that goes away and uh, destroys your data and asks for a ransom. I was actually at a conference in November and it was for a, a particular data provider and, and they they actually hired a, um, a model and she walked around with USB drives and handed them out to the 600 of us delegates and um, she just handed them out and and the guy had a whole lot of calculations up showing that you could you could make quite a bit of a fortune by handing out these USB drives and then people just plug them in and away they go. Um, and I read another study that if you wanted to get into a network, one of the easiest ways was to leave a USB drive in the bathrooms or go into an office block, leave them in the bathrooms and then leave one Excel file there that says something like um, staff pay reviews or something along that. And they, you know, that pretty much pips everyone's interest. They'll double click on it and then you know, you're in. Well, you go. But mal- malware is the worst. It, it, it is someone taking your data, putting a lock on it, and then going, well, if you want access to it, you've got to pay me. And then if you haven't got any backups, you really are up the creek without the paddle. And, I mean, I think we'll see more and more of the software getting smarter uh, so it will work its way into your network and work out how you're doing your backups and will destroy them. Now, this is just, you know, based around, an, you know, I guess an individual machine that, um, you know, does, does backups directly. But you can imagine in the future... It gets into your network, it'll get across to your server, it'll work out what your backup is on your server, and it'll mess, you know, potentially mess with that, so there'll be no way you can go back to your server backup. Well, I think I heard I heard, heard last year there was there was a company where it got hit by one of those malwares, and it started redirecting the backup somewhere else. Oh, okay, so that mm-hmm. has happened already. And if you, you know, you think about it, if you look at it, the backup is completed and everything looks fine, um, it still puts the tape out and ejects the tape properly, and after a month, people find out that, oh, okay, there's no backup left anymore. And they end up paying ransom in bit, bitcoins. Um, it was quite big. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it's definitely something uh, something to be aware, uh, well aware of. And, uh, yeah, make sure your staff are, uh, are getting trained on, on this sort of stuff. All right, now we've got one little mention is uh, Raymond Tomlinson has passed away. And he has, um, this has sort of got quite a bit of mainstream uh, media coverage. He is known as the, they're calling him in the Herald, the inventor of modern email. Now, I guess prior to him selecting the, uh, the at symbol to, uh, to go in to deliver, uh, produce a sort of a full-blown email address, their email type communications were much much simpler so you know within an organization and so on i imagine uh, generally but uh, with that move to full-blown email addresses which what was that was that about 1971 i think i was uh, i was reading so it was reasonably early on in the piece uh yep, it, 71 yeah it sort of open you know really opened things up for well the sort of email communications that we have today and of course now people communicate using a lot more than uh, email in terms of electronic communications, but uh, the, you know the concept of of email that has has been incredibly successful. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a sad day, really. I think it's it is the, the one of the foundations of of the internet is email. Everyone, you know, I, I assume the three of us probably send a fair few emails every day. Um, I know Google tells me I send and receive four thousand emails a month, which I think is wrong, but never mind. Um, and it's everything from you know making. I think Google are right, Nate. I, I don't. Every time I get a report every month, I'm like, oh, I'm sure that's completely wrong. Um, it's everything from making. <laughs> shut up, you two. Everything from making you know dinner plans to sending proposals to you know everything is based on email. I always have a bit of a laugh when you 
see these new tech companies that launch with the, the email killer, you know, moving things out of email, but it just works. Like you type in someone's email address and you can send them whatever you want and it just works. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, as you said, it started from, the internet world was started as an email and everything. So, yeah, I'm quite surprised you send 4,000 emails a month. Yeah, me too. Um, and with and the thing too, I think that's the big change is. Have you been I, hacked, Nate? Are there, are there automated emails going m- out from your account? Maybe that's that's how I make all my money. Oh, um, ransom call coming. In the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys have already been affected. <laughs> I, th- I suppose the big change that we've seen just recently is the, the how everyone now gets email on your phone, and it's like text messaging. Like you, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I sort of when I email someone. I expected a reply quite quickly because I know that most people have got it on their phone and I sort of feel a bit weird when someone doesn't have it on their phone. So we're getting to that, that we're at that stage where email is like text messaging, it's that instant. You send an email, it bleeps on someone's phone, they can reply back. Yeah, and I mean, we've been able to get email in, in varying forms for a, for a very you know very long time. I mean, 1971 sort of you know proves that, I suppose. In those early days, it was generally people that were sitting within universities that had that type of connectivity. It wasn't... Uh, you know, broadly available to uh, to business, uh, but you know, my father worked in in the universities for many years, so you know, email was quite a normal normal thing for him. Um, I guess for me, it was probably early nineties that I started you know, having a internet based um, email address, and then uh, late nineties I had it on a mobile device in terms of a a Palm Pilot. So, uh, uh, but yeah, as you say now, it's it's so ubiquitous. What I'm curious about is when will email die? When when will we supersede it? Because I think you look at some sectors of the community these days and they don't use email very much, you know, because there are so many alternatives. We've got text message, we've got iMessage, we've got Facebook Messenger, we've got WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Uh, we've got all of these varying channels. And sometimes I will be looking for a communication that I've sent somebody or that I know I've received from somebody. And I'm trying to remember, how did I actually get that message? Uh, because we have so many different channels and uh i'll look through a bunch and it's like where is it it's, oh it's in, must be in twitter and i have a look at twitter no it's not in twitter um do you guys ever have that or is it just me yeah no i have it all the time I, the worst one i've got is if i if someone texts me oh hey can you make sure you do payment for blah 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 unless it's in an email i'll forget about it and then a week later I go, oh have you sent through payment i'm like oh i'm really sorry i didn't like i, I don't use text message as much now i'm using email it's so much better but no, I'm completely the same. You search, you end up searching through WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, yeah, emails, text messages, trying to find out where is that bank account number, where is that address for that thing I'm going to. Yeah, I, I, I get that quite a lot as well, you know, whether it's on a text message, whether it's on an email. Um, I'm like with like Nate, that I, I quite forget if someone's going to ask me to do something on text message and I won't remember it. Um, yeah, so you it, kind of have you have to pick that up and then f- like copy it into an email, kind or of. Yeah, or just create a reminder or something, you know. Yeah, and it's quite yeah. handy on emails where you can straight away put it as a reminder. Yeah. Do you guys have that thing on your phones too? You know, where it goes sent from my iPhone or sent from your mobile or whatever? Because I, I feel I like usually I have... genericize that that it's from my phone because I use lots of different phones and I'm yeah. not into promoting, you know, one one or a, one or another. Um, so I just genericize it. Because yeah, I've got sent from mobile on mine, and I, I, I don't know if this is right or not, but I just feel that if I send a client an email that they don't think it's so improper that it's you know like one line or, or two sentences or um, the spelling's not quite right or the grammar's all, not all quite right. All caps? Do you do that? All caps, yeah. <laughs> like we're, got, we're like we're texting off an Alcatel, old school Alcatel. Yeah, I don't know whether they it does it, but in my mind, I, I, I think the client's like, oh, that's that's fine. He's on mobile. Don't worry about it. 
there there is a bit of leeway you get isn't there when you when you alert people that you're from a mobile device but Less and less because our mobiles, their keyboards and so on are getting better, right? Yeah, that's true. I quite, yeah, I've, I've started noticing there are some people now putting in the signature where they say is that excuse the spell check because of coming from mobile or something like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's um, it's going to be curious to see where, where these things go as we do have new tools. I think at the moment, certainly in business, you know, email is absolutely critical and, you know, it's probably taken over for, for most terms of communications from uh, from yeah every, everything else phone and and otherwise but any every business varies in terms of how much those other uh, those other channels are um, how important they are um, I would say for me still really important for um, uh, arranging meetings in terms of you know calen- calendars and so on I mean obviously there's a level of things that you can do in terms of events through Facebook but um, the very large majority of anything to do with Booking time in a calendar seems to be via email still. Now we've got uh, we've got a few gadgets that we wanted to chat through. We've got the new uh, new Fitbit Blaze and the new Fitbit Alter or Alter, depending on how you want to pronounce that. But before we dive into those, um, Darvel, I wanted to hear a little bit about the Sensi Buds. Now you've had these on uh, not on Kickstarter. You've had them on. Uh, What's the other? What's the other Indiegogo. one? Indiegogo. Indiegogo. That's right. Um, and yeah, these look like a really, uh, really cool new product. So give us a little bit of a rundown on um, on what they do. Yep. So yeah, as I when I started, I said Sensi Buds is basically um, the earbuds that detects whether they are in your ears, and if it is in your ears, it will play the music automatically or play video, whatever you're playing on a media. Um, when you take it off, it will pause it for you. So definitely helpful for things like uh, podcasts and audio books where you don't want to lose exactly. your place I mean, this, right it's quite interesting this whole idea came up with chatting with one of my friend in america and he listens to podcasts and everything every time while he's working and people tap onto his shoulder asking questions and stuff like that so he goes and pauses first and then talk to the person but as a human writer you would always pull out the earplugs and start talking yeah yeah um so that's where this whole idea came up and yeah, but then I started thinking about, you know, not just having play pause thing because that's pretty simple as thinking why. So what else is a problem? So obviously you have problems where you put your earbuds in your pocket and it's get tangled. So I thought of having something where you can roll it around and, you know, keep it as untangled. So the lifetime, well, it's not lifetime, but the lifespan stays longer for the earbuds obviously a sensor needs a battery so there is a battery on it but then my main key thing was that i didn't want it to have the battery to die like the other wireless products that you know dies in 12 hours sort of thing so i spent a lot of time in getting the optimization of the battery and it runs for 17 days now 17 days how many hours how many hours it's a day based on eight hours it? a day as wow. a constant constant eight hours a day and in theory it runs at 17 days yep obviously that's we've spent a lot of time on that to optimize that battery it's it's running as a similar concept as what um initially started was um the pebble watch they introduced some paper batteries i don't know if you're aware of that but um that's where this whole concept started and um started looking into it so yeah and then 
we also had a new feature in it called a do not disturb light so yeah i quite like this idea actually yeah you know i mean i've heard a lot where people keep saying that when they are busy they they want a red light sitting on their head saying please do not disturb me i'm trying to concentrate on something so we i was like oh, why not put something like this you know you turn it on and it's it's an educational thing right now but once people know about it it's it's going to be pretty good or you could use it in 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 flight mode when you're traveling like so sort of going overseas or something you want to turn on the do not disturb so the crew member won't wake you up or something like that so yeah there are different applications can be used and so that's just a jet, red light that you can toggle on and on and off that's correct yes yep yep Nate did you have a look did you have a look at the um uh, product I shouldn't have a look I was just having a good look at the, the website look yeah cuz I I think the, well like, I had this classic example yesterday um working away someone knocks on our main office door and you sort of just oh and take the headphones off yeah and then you get distracted chatting to them and you go back to whatever you're listening to or watching and you go crap i've um i can't remember where i was up to yeah. and then you're frustrated because you try and work out whereas if you had something that you could just take straight out of your ears and it stops pauses everything what a fantastic idea and so this, this is using um what's the what's the technology is it just a proximity sensor it's got a, yeah it's got a proximity sensor and it it's it also detects that it's it's on in your skin touch sort of thing so it does understands it that you know just when you put in your ears that means it is near the, inside the ears uh, outside a similar concept as what cell phones work on and those things um there's uh, there's also a new thing that we trying to introduce now is say make it a hygienic headset basically so there is there is a new product where you use a self sanitized plastic and that's what we're going to use on these and make it as a high first hygienic um headsets oh that's nice. cool that's cool sounds sounds like a uh, sounds like a good concept so these are on Indiegogo. You've also got them on your website, and it's all pre-order because you're not launching until what mid-year, May, June, or something. Um, it would go up to in in May to June. So yeah, it's all on Indiegogo right now. Um, the Indiegogo campaign finishes end of this week. Should we spell it so people know how to spell it when they're looking for it? Sensi Buds. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the well, URL? Spell it out. S E N C B U D S. Excellent, excellent. That's good. Now, what sort of challenges have you encountered? Because this is quite a big process to launch a product onto the market. I'm sure there must be, you know, challenges with things like, you know, even just the technology to work out, you know, the proximity. Is it in your ear or is it just on a table? And you know how to, you know, working through all of those things. How long have you actually been working on this stuff? I've been been working for 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 one one year plus now. Um, and yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, Initially, when I thought we obviously wanted, we tried with different sensors. Um, there are different way, different ways of doing things, basically. But then, proximity sensor was the perfect, perfect choice. The other aspect was to have it, you know, not a bulky headset sort of thing. So you have to be understanding that as well. Fitting everything into one small that goes into your ears fits fine. I remember Nate asking straight when when he walked in that whether those earbuds fits in the ears or not. So that's also an important thing to look into it. Do the, do the proximity sensors, and this may sound like a dumb question, but I'll follow it up with an explanation. Do, do they work with different skin colors as well? Yes, that's, that's right. So it will it will understand it as 
Yeah, it's in your skin and yeah. So it's going to work all right for the one white boy. Uh, <laughs> no, the reason, our reason I asked this because we were at the airport a couple of weeks ago and we were discussing about how we thought the taps, because I can't get the taps, I often find that the proximity taps don't work and a friend of mine was standing there and he could get the tap to work and we thought, because my hands are darker than what his are. That's something new. It didn't work. Yeah, but I thought those were uh, like a more infrared type thing. I don't something. know, but we couldn't, maybe it was a bit of a... Are you a ghost, Nate? I must be. (laughs) This is really freaky. I'm I'm worried about having you in the room. So that's why I ask if the headphones work on different skin colours. Do they work with ghosts? Have you tested that, (laughs) Double? I'll try it afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. And was it it a long... I'm fascinated by this because I've never been in that sort of um, arena. Was it a long process to... I assume that you, you prototype something, use it, and then... This works, that doesn't work, throw that away, and then you keep the good bits, and then add a little bit more on it. Oh, no. Um, no, I think initially we designed the circuit on just on the board and then keep drawing onto the board instead of putting into a case. Mm-hmm. Once we managed to decide as this sensor works fine and everything's good, then 3D printed the casing and everything, and then just tried to fit into the case. Mm-hmm. At this stage, it's all handmade sample sort of thing. You know, it's not... it's not factory fitted or nothing like that so yeah the quality if you see it right now it's it's a bit glued and stuff like that but obviously when it goes to manufacturing it goes proper manufacturing and so how does the actual pause thing work if you can talk about it does it does it send through a, a pulse to the the device yeah, so or? it's quite interesting i mean if you think right now as your standard headsets for your phone you know you got those button where you can play pause thing so it's exactly the same functionality but just moving out of that and putting into a sensor mm-hmm. and is it the same for both android and windows phone yep. and for so it works on it definitely works on android apple um there are some windows phone that we've tested um not every windows phone has been tested on um most likely the newer ones with windows 10 will definitely work oh very cool that's good that's good now patents and so on is this is this an important part of the mix for you because you've invented something new here it's not something we've come across have you gone down that track yep so i yeah i did go to that track and patent i filed the patent right now in new zealand um and obviously right to file it around the world i have trademarked sensibots as well so that that has been trademarked as my brand now again it's it's not it's not an easy process it's obviously filing patents and things like that it's, it's not cheap either but yeah i had I, i've spent lots and lots of time on it um did lots and lots of research before going ahead and doing these things great and if we've got any listeners that are from you know maybe manufacturing companies that think oh this is a good idea i guess there's you know there's two potentials somebody might come along tap you on the shoulder and say hey can we acquire you somebody else might say hey could we license your technology are you open to licensing yes, for instance? Uh, yeah, look, I'm I'm open for any business ideas and things like that. So, yep, that's not a problem at all. Um, we've been talking to um, one of the guys over here and they, they're thinking about it. Nothing's been moved ahead yet. So, yeah, there is there is a lot of potential in this, basically. That's great. Well, all all the best with that. It's, uh, it's very exciting. Always great to see uh, 
cool new innovation, especially ones uh, coming out of out of New Zealand. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Good. Well, we definitely um, will be looking forward and following your Indiegogo campaign. Um, so make sure you get everything out on time. Uh, that's always a big challenge with crowdfunding <laughs> campaigns, isn't it? It's, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's actually the the time frames can be pretty uh, pretty hard work, and I think most people realise that you know sometimes you just you can't always meet the the realities of those because there, there's a lots of things that are sort of unknown. But uh, I guess you're working pretty hard to uh, to be as close as possible. Yeah. See, sometimes what what happens is when obviously when you do a prototype, you've done it say in the back of your garage or something like that and then you start talking to the manufacturers and come across problems when you're really talking to the manufacturer in different ways um one advantage what i have right now is that i've already met the manufacturer who can make this product they've already seen it um they know how to make it so yeah that's that's definitely an advantage for me so you can just kick back and put your feet up and it's all going to be done no more work required fully (laughs) (laughs) do you think going forward you're going to are they going to be solely sold through once Indiegogo stuff's done? Is it going to be solely through a website, or are you looking at retailers, or where, where do you think? Um, from from a sales channel, I would think as a distribution partners, basically. So okay. would give it to distributors, and they can take it on on board from there. Very um, cool. Cool shopping channel. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that is very cool. That's very cool. Great to hear that update. Now uh, we were going to have a quick chat around the uh, new Fitbit Blaze. Uh, which is Fitbit's new uh, watch. If you were to sort of look at it and uh, wonder what's going on here, this is a little bit different from every other Fitbit we've seen before. It would probably make you think they've been uh, keeping an eye on all these uh, smart watches out there because we've got a color touch screen, but we've also got the all the niceties that we're, we're, we tend to be used to with the Fitbit devices. The big standout one for me is being up to five days battery life. Um, so as, as far as a, as a fitness wearable, that is definitely a big differentiator between the, the, you know, our fitness type devices and uh, most, of the, most of the smart watches. Dava, what's your sort of, uh, you know, you've had a quick sort of first look at this. I've used it, um, I had used it to measure my sleep last night and uh, out for some exercise this morning. Um, but just looking at it sort of aesthetically, what's your what's your take? Yeah, I think, look, uh, there are lots and lots of pro- product right now out there, smartwatches and different, different products, but Fitbit has always been on that top area of... Um, for fitness stuff i quite like this um, this one it's it's got good good look um and and yeah so i was always into two minds about the heart rate sensor in it so you say that it's correct isn't it it's well pretty i'm close not to i'm correct. not sure it's maybe absolutely correct but i think they do a, they do a reasonable enough job for you know tracking your fitness with um, it might not be what a doctor, you know, would use. It'd be used in a medical situation, but you know, it was definitely when I was um, uh, when my heart rate was up this morning. It was definitely telling me that it was up, and uh, it was, you know, it was good to know that it knew I was working hard. I don't know. Um, I heard something last month about in America where someone had was wearing Fitbit, and because of the heart rate monitoring, he or she end up in, in an emergency, and it wasn't a problem at all. So, yeah, I don't know how how, how much true this would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think generally that, you know, that technology will keep getting better and better, but, uh, you know, what's in there now, I think, you know, for most people, they'll they'll find it of, 
of some use for tracking their uh, fitness. Um, the other thing that's in there, and it's I think it's a step up from generally what I've seen in the earlier iterations of uh, Fitbit products in terms of their interaction with a smartphone, um, is just the tie-in for alerts. So, you know, my uh, my phone was on quiet earlier on in the day. Um, a phone call was coming in, and I got the alert. Oh, now actually, I have to have to check myself because I had actually been wearing multiple uh, devices. So I've been wearing the <laughs> Apple Watch as well today. So I was going to say that it alerted me that the call was coming in, um, but I'll actually need to check that because it could have been the Apple Watch on my other wrist that was alerting me of the call coming in. So I might be wrong on that, but definitely. Um, it's been alerting me to uh, SMS messages, uh, Facebook Messenger uh, messages during the day, which you can sort of swipe off the screen um, as they come in. It's um, it's certainly not as, as advanced as a as a pure um, smartwatch in in probably some of those regards, but in terms of the fitness aspects, it looks uh, it looks pretty good so far. Nate, you're uh, you're quite into your fitness. I am. I don't have any fitness trackers, though. That's the only thing. My wife wears one. Um, it is something I have noticed that a lot more... You'll go into meetings and you'll notice that a lot more people are wearing Fitbits. And I, I think it's the... what's You know, what's the stock standard sort of... Oh, I don't even know the model. Like the real base model. It's very similar to the, the Alta one that's there. Um, it does seem to be more of a mainstream thing yeah, now. With and the, they're reasonably accessible price points. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of other vendors that are making them as well. It's not just... Uh, you know, not just Fit uh, Fitbit, and you, you know you've got Garmin in there as well, and uh, you know the, the GPS uh, manufacturers. So yeah. you know, there's a, there's a good range of options. But um, one of the nice things about Fitbit is that because they are sort of such a big player, um, lots of people do use them, and then so you can link up with other people through their uh, their network and sort of you know compare how you're going to to friends and so on. So you can end up with a little bit of sort of gamification where you can, you know, competing against uh, Which friends. I, and yeah, like. I think is a big one because I, I, I know of a few friends that are, have all partnered up and then did the, the 10,000 steps or whatever it is a, a day. Um, and, it, yeah, it, is, it does become a massive game to the fact where it gets to sort of 7 o'clock at night and they think, oh, I'm a little bit behind. I better walk around the room or whatever you do to, to get your step You could counter. game it, though, couldn't you? I mean, if I put this on uh, Pablo's wrist, he goes off to school for the day and he's running, doing all these sports and exercise at school. And then passes it back me at the end of the day, and then I sync it with my. Um, would that be right? Or would there be something a bit wrong about? No, that? you could do it, but it would sort of ruin the whole ethos, I think, of the uh, of the challenge. I probably wouldn't get a whole lot fitter with that, would I? But I'd definitely be yeah. able to win on the points basis. Yeah, they may notice when you're constantly eating pies or whatever you're eating during the day that you're not getting any skinnier. <laughs> <laughs> you may be sprung. All right, I'll just sort of throw that out there. Um, well, yeah. So, so yeah. The two new devices, the Fitbit uh, Blaze. I think that officially launches in, or is supposed to launch in New Zealand on the fifteenth of March. Uh, although, from what I'm seeing, some retailers have already put it on sale, so uh, you might be able to get your hands on it already. And then the Fitbit Alta, uh, that uh, or Alta is, uh, I think it's launching in April. So, um, thank you to Fitbit. Um, as usual, all our uh, all the tech companies are very good with uh, with getting product into our hands to have a little bit of a play with and uh, definitely been great to get uh, to get a little bit of hands on with that and we'll report back a little bit more as uh, as I get more time with those over the um, uh, next next uh, next few weeks and let's see whether I get a little bit fitter or not I hope so 
Alright, well that's us for this week. Um, Nate, where do we track you down online? Uh, really easy, just at Nate on Twitter. Or, um, actually I haven't blogged on Geekzone for ages. Uh, <laughs> jump on my blog, which is on Geekzone. So, Ex- excellent. Those are two places. And uh, Darvel, where's the best place to, uh, best way to track you down? Um, well, I would say email would be the best thing. So you could, you could track me on Darvel at sensibuds.com. Or obviously, you can check the website, sensibuds.com, and there is contact us page over there. Excellent, excellent. That's good. And people can track me down on Twitter at Paul Spain um, or via the Gorilla Technology website at gorillatechnology.com. Um, if you're after help with your uh, technology systems, whether it be uh, an audit of your uh, of your business technology or something such as training around cybersecurity for your staff, so that so that you don't get so many issues, then um, Gorilla's the place to come. Uh, GorillaTechnology.com. All right, well that's us for this week. Thank you everybody for listening in, and we'll catch you again next week with another cool episode. See you then. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.